the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Joining me here today in studio, a very familiar voice to KFAX listeners down through the years. In fact, many of us get our day started with him as a part of Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. From Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, Pastor Don Sheely and Pastor Don, a delight to have you in studio with us today. Good to be with you, sir. Perhaps not many people in the audience know of the story of Pastor Don Sheely and Church of the Highlands and the amazing work that's gone up there in San Bruno for the last 50-something years, and how that um, Church of the Highlands and your work there was kind of a pause for a moment, a long moment, in in your ministry and in a burden that God had put in your heart in an entirely different direction, even as you have ministered here and led that congregation for so many years, I understand that many years ago, God had put a burden on your heart for the area of, called Borneo Correct. in Southeast Asia. Tell us a bit about that. Well, I think, Craig, the the whole concept of our church has been missions, but it's been unique in that we have had Instead of maintaining missionaries on the field, we have made our missionary pro- uh, missionary goals selecting projects, and then we would go to a field and and evaluate the project and see how how it could be done and the cost so forth. And so our congregation over the last forty years has worked with projects. Years ago, we went to Africa and we uh, saw how easy it would be to build churches out in in uh, Africa. So. We built churches in Africa. We went to India, and um, um, Mark Montaigne, the great missionary there in Calcutta, uh, was a close friend of ours, and so we helped Mark select his site for the big hospital there in Calcutta and became a part of that project. And so we've moved around the world, and I have found that by doing it in projects, you can set a, set a goal, you can get your congregation tuned into that goal, and that's what's on their mind. And when it's finished, there's a sense of completion. Whereas many missionary programs within the church, as you send $100 here and $100 there over a period of time, uh, project goal missionary work has, gives a sense of satisfaction. And so there's something to be said, too, Pastor Don, about the effectiveness of that, in that there is a certain expense when it comes to preparing a missionary to go overseas. They have to learn the culture. They have to learn the language. There are expenses involved in there. So many of your projects have been oriented toward training up local missionaries, meaning in-country nationals who don't have language barriers, who don't have to raise huge amounts of money because they're local. And as a result, the level of effectiveness in helping to sort of um, um, naturally see sort of an organic growth of the church in-country uh, has been extremely successful, hasn't it? Yeah, we for many years. In other words, we select an area of the world and probably concentrate there for two or three years. Some years ago, we selected the Philippine Islands. 
And down in Mindanao, there was a training center there for the locals for mission work. And so we purchased, I think it was 40 acres, and we planted a rubber plantation with, I think, 1,100 rubber trees. Now that plantation underwrites all the cost mm-hmm. for operating that training center. And so uh, the joy of getting a project done brings great excitement. But what you do when you move the projects every three years, you change the focus of the congregation. And uh, what brought us to Borneo, Craig, was we had spent a lot of time working in the Philippine Islands. And we ventured across the uh, border from Malaysia into Indonesia. About 30 minutes in, there was this... uh, uh, work of for orphans, and we of course helped very much. We built many of the classrooms and were involved. We sent in a back hole digger and so forth. But one day we were talking about the mission work there in Borneo, and the uh, builder who had come there to help in Mount Hope told us about Ronnie's ministry deep in the jungle. Now, that fascinated me. I thought, now go to the middle of the jungle and create a, a ministry. So. I said, the next time we come, we've got to go find this man in the middle of the jungle. So as a result, uh, we made it there. It was a very, very difficult road to get there. It's about 12 hours of washboard roads. And it was late in the evening. We'd been delayed because of car problems and so forth, and probably 11 o'clock at night. And we were right in the middle of the jungle, and all of a sudden we came over the top of a hill, and I saw all these streetlights of a city. And it absolutely thrilled me that how do you build a city in the middle of the jungles? And as soon as we arrived, uh, we, of course, met Ronnie, and we became fascinated. Here is an 800-acre project or more with a goal of 1,000 children, schools, medical centers, hospitals, airfield. I mean, it's a complete city. And I've always enjoyed working with men who have great minds. We have a great dream. Way back in the uh, 70s, we visited Korea. When Dr. Hong, who had a Christian school there, he would uh, he had escaped from North Korea. Today, he has a Christian school of 16,000 children. But a tremendous vision. God can do anything. And when I met Ronnie, I thought to myself, here's a guy that's much like Dr. Hong. He has a vision, and he... Uh, he has a simple faith, and when I walked around that campus that day and saw about 60 buildings, and realizing that all that building material had to be brought in through that crazy road, and um, to see it, to see those hundreds and hundreds of children having a marvelous time, sitting there in the uh, cafeteria, eating, going to their schools, I thought, now here's a project that we would like to become a part of. Wasn't there part of this, Pastor Don, that was kind of fulfillment of a burden that had been on your heart for many, many years? Correct. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was my understanding that you had a burden to head off to Borneo to do missions work there at the point at which God called you to Church of the Highlands. So it was almost as if God paused that for a moment, gave you another assignment, and then when you completed or fulfilled that work, God said, okay, time to pick up where we left off almost five decades ago. When we entered the ministry, we had a missions burden. So 
we were going to act as a fill-in missionary for missionaries who came home on furlough. And so they sent us over to Hong Kong, or they set up our apartment and sent a car over, and we got stuck in a church. So I've had a a detour for 50 years. Mm -hmm. We... Uh, I always wanted, I love missionary work, but we got stuck in mission, work doing here. And uh, as a result... Had a great place to get stuck, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, the dream was always been... And then, Craig, there's a, a fascination inside me. Where is the end of the world? Go to the ends of mm. the world. Um, so when we had our Bible college in Ukraine back in 89 when the Iron Curtain mm-hmm. fell, here's Siberia. I thought, I'd like to go to Siberia. And so I talked with a couple of missionaries, and we ended up in Magadan, Siberia, which is as far from uh, as far as you can get in the Russian country. And um, we started a, a Bible college in Magadan, Siberia. And as a result of that, um, that part of the world now has, has pastors that are pastoring many of the churches. And so Borneo has always fascinated me because I know that it's one of the uh, most, uh, uh, probably the most, trying to think of a word, we're so backward. I mean, no, it's not, it's not modern. Uh, it, it's a good definition of uttermost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uttermost. It's uttermost. And so I always wanted to go there. And when I heard about Ronnie's project, I thought, here's our opportunity. And, of course, Tony, being our missionary pastor, has been by my side. And uh, when I got to... Ronnie's project, I knew we had uh, reached a uh, project that I believe, Craig, with all my heart, and I say this in Ronnie's presence, this will go down as one of the great missionary endeavors of the of the century. You know, we understand the concept of Judea and Samaria, and, and hopefully as believers we all have a passion for the Lord to share our faith with others, and in doing so can reach our Judea and venture out occasionally into Samaria. Um, getting that uttermost, though, um, we know we need to pray for that. We know it needs to be reached. But I wonder how many of us pray and say, Lord, send me to the uttermost that I might fulfill your great commandment and great commission. There's a brand new book out that both Ronnie and Pastor Don Sheely have co-authored together telling the story of this miracle zone. In fact, that's the title of the book, Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with our special in-studio guest today, Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands, speaker on Daybreak, heard weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. here on KFAX. And with us from Borneo, yes, you heard right, Borneo, is Pastor Ronnie Habor. They are co-authors of a brand new book called Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo. Pastor Sheely, this is really powers and principalities in high places. This is spiritual warfare, the likes of which many Western Christians don't really understand, do they? No, I think, you know, living here in the Western world, most of us do not understand how intense the spiritual powers are in some of these countries. And, um, you know, you really have to have a touch of God on your life because to deal with the spiritual issues, when you walk into it, you, you can actually feel. You feel demonic powers present. And um, so the 
the challenge uh, if a person went there just to be a professional missionary, he'd be gone in a few days. But to go there with a burden and a touch of God on your life, then you can see God at work in the lives of these people. Um, It's an experience that that you can't explain. And this is not casual Christianity. This is not cultural Christianity. This is, I may lose my life because of who I name as Lord and Savior, Christianity. Absolutely. This is the battle for hearts and minds between goodness and evil and dark and light and the enemy himself and very God himself. This is that battle being played out right in front of our very eyes. Very much so. And I think Ronnie has you know, a number of situations where he's had to deal even with children who have been possessed and uh, they have their curses that have been placed upon them. And, uh, but to deal with intense spiritual concerns. And I've been in the ministry for a number of years, and maybe only once or twice have I had to deal with intense demonic involvement. But they're in the jungle. That's where they live with. And it really puts a perspective on all that we see in the New Testament. And I think as much as there are some Christians in the West, Ronnie, that would look at the book of Acts, for example, as a history book, and not realize that, yes, while it does give an account for what happened in the early church, in the early days of the establishment of the body of believers following Christ's resurrection, that it is also demonstrative of what real, authentic Christianity is all about. That we hear about miracles of demons being cast out or the blind seen or the lame walking in, and we think, well, wasn't it nice that God used to do those things? And we don't realize that that is a part of God's world functioning every single day. Oh, absolutely. And that he uses these demonstrations of power, largely as we see again throughout the book of Acts, amazing to see almost every time that somebody was healed, then word spread about, and everybody in the village came to Christ. Uh, The thousands uh, were then led to see him as uh, not just a good man who walked the earth, but rather as truly being God himself. There is a manner in which your church here in the San Francisco Bay Area is actively engaging believers into literally going into the mission field in Borneo. Tell us a bit more about that. One of the exciting programs we're having at the church is we're taking over groups maybe once a year from our congregation and having them become involved. And in July, we have 22 of our young people plus some adults, 14 or 15 adults. And we sent over a, a exploratory team a couple of months ago so that we could find a project for these 22 kids. So Ronnie has set aside 10 acres on his, in his area, and uh, they're presently digging the holes, and we're going to be planting an orchard, a, for, a fruit orchard, so that in a couple, three years, the children will be enjoying but by sending our young people there, it is absolutely a life-changing experience. I was going to say, you know, so often people say, well, I'm going to go, we're going to go build um, homes in uh, Mexico because we want to do something for them. And we, when we come with this idea that we are going to minister to them, and while indeed that takes place, more often than not, the real ministry takes place as these people experience what God is doing there and then bring that back home to the Bay Area. It's amazing. I think, and I have three wonderful boys that uh, God has given to us, and 
Years ago, we used to send them to Mexico. And that experience of ministering in Mexico turned their hearts towards ministry. So I have the joy of having all three of my sons working with me. But our prayer is that when these young people go uh, in the next couple of months, that we're going to see some life-changing experiences. And they'll come home and ignite our youth group with their love for Christ and, and the experience of which they're going through. If it could only be made mandatory that as young people come to Jesus Christ and they get involved in, in pure discipleship and they learn to love the Lord, read his word, uh, live out his word, share that love with others, and then be required to go on a trip overseas and watch God work and be a part of yep. that. Mm-hmm. And the the change that happens when you come back, you're not the same person. Mm-hmm. And what we did as a church, we talked it over, it's quite a large sum, $3,000 to send one over to Borneo for two weeks. So what we did as a church, we put up the 2000 so that all the youth had to do is raise 1000 which was they were able to do. And so they have become, in a very real way, a part of the project. But the, we think it's a tremendous investment in the lives of young people as a church. I'm going to tell you, Pastor Don, at the end of the day, um, you you couldn't do better if you sent him to seminary for 10 years. That's right. Because exactly. what God will do in that experience. You can get more information on the web, livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You've got photographs there. Folks can see yes. the entire uh, development. And as Pastor Sheely mentioned, 60-something buildings. It, it really is a miracle in the middle of that jungle yeah. there. And that's a great way to get educated about the ministry and, of course, uh, to lend support as well. And so if folks want to get more information, uh, maybe this is uh, something you pray about and say, you know, uh, we'd like to be a part of this and stand with um, uh, the ministry of Ronnie Habor and the family there at Living Waters Village. Uh, pray for them, certainly. And then if the Lord puts the burden on your heart for economic support, uh, folks, I would imagine, can make a donation right through the website. They can. And they can come over as well and give us a hand if they want to. Well, so that's like right. In, in fact, yeah. just like the team coming from Church yeah. of the Highlands. And, uh, you know, if you want to be planted into a good dynamic church with solid Bible teaching and a real demonstrative passion for a Christian worldview that um, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts, I guess that would be San Bruno, um, Northern California, and all the way into uh, the jungles of Borneo. Uh, check out Church of the Highlands, the broadcast, of course, weekday mornings at 6.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. You can get information on the web, churchofthehighlands.org. That's churchofthehighlands.org. And if listeners... Pastor Sheely have a burden and say, you know what? This is exactly the kind of ministry I've been looking for. This is exactly the kind of thing that I'd I'd like to go and experience. Um, some of these trips uh, in the future, are they open to folks coming and getting more information about yes, we maybe open going? Up, we open up the trips. And uh, the interesting thing about it, Craig, is we could send over carpenters, whatever it is, because they're building a city. So whatever's needed in a city... Ronnie needs it for the help. So if they want to help teach the children in the school, if they want whatever they want to do, they can use their their abilities there. And the reason why I like this project in in the years that uh, we have been involved in missions, oftentimes we can send them dollar bills and and but they don't to send over a church family to help is is really not uh, the most effective way. But here's a project where we can just say to the church we're going to be taking another tour. Come and join us, and uh, we've already built our Highlands house there at the uh, orphanage, so we can. how many can we accommodate, Ronnie? Uh, about 50, I think, in that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ronnie and I sat down a couple of years ago in, in a restaurant, and we drew out the kind of house we wanted and made it much like a, a motel, 
and with the idea that because the parents sometimes that are living want to come see their children, so it gives them a place to stay. And we have churches from all over the world coming there to help, so it gives them uh, some uh, living quarters. And uh, I guess when we send our team a couple of months, our kids are going to yeah. be staying there in the Highlands house. Yeah. So if you want to get more information, again, you can um, go to Ronnie Habor's website at livingwatersvillage.com. That's livingwatersvillage.com. You can also call Church of the Highlands in San Bruno if you'd like to find out more about the next opportunity to travel on a missions trip. You'll go with the intention of helping to change lives and come back a changed person. Yeah. Uh, on the web, churchofthehighlands.org, or you can call the church directly at area code 650-873-4095. That's 650-873-4095. Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo, new book written and co-authored by Ronnie Habor and Pastor Don Sheely from Church of the Highlands. Ronnie, great to see you again. Appreciate the visit. Thank Pastor you, Don Sheely, always wonderful to have you drop God by. God bless you, Greg. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We've often, I think, on the topic of taxes as Americans, drawn the conclusion that historically it was things like the Boston Tea Party and the sense of taxation without representation that spurred the American Revolution and brought America to where she is today. My next guest, though, will suggest mm, not quite true. Played a role, to be sure. But in fact, instead of the revolution sparking, uh, sparked by high taxes, it would instead be outrage against British attempts to suppress God-given those so-called inalienable rights that we see articulated in the Constitution that we have today. Some insights now as we're joined by the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. He's also the author of 16 best-selling books. His latest is entitled By the Hand of Providence, how Faith Shaped the American Revolution. And, Rod Gregg, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you. Glad to be here. What headed you down this trajectory? I mean, obviously you spent a lot of your life in the arena of, of looking at the Battle of Gettysburg in one of your books. You, you, you've been very much focused on the founding of our nation and, and the roots that we have. And, and I think, to be sure, most of us, certainly people listening to a program like this, see the faith-based roots of our nation but to take it a step further now and, and suggest that as much as we've typically understood the American Revolution to be sparked by taxation without representation actually coming down to something a lot more valuable, quite frankly, uh, this, this, I think, is some new news for folks. Well, I think it's, uh, it's an old story that needs to be re retold because it's been uh, neglected in our day and has been uh, largely forgotten uh, by, uh, by our nation. But it it's really uh, goes to the heart of who we are and, and what we became as a nation. And the American Revolution was a faith-based revolution because Americans were a faith-based people, and that faith was a biblical one. So the things that you mentioned, uh, taxation, uh, lack of representation in Parliament, uh, events that uh, were more of a catalyst like the Boston Tea Party, other protests, all those things were uh, had a role, and all of them uh, were kind of the dominoes falling but uh, they were symptomatic of something deeper, and that is that the American people, is, as you put it well, um, the American people were, were biblical. The colonial American people and the Americans at the time of the Revolution were uh, biblically literate. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody was devout. You had the, the devout, you had the nominal, you had the uninterested. But the, the American thought at the time was uh, firmly founded on the Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, the culture was um, 
predominantly Protestant, it was overwhelmingly Christian, and it was almost universally Judeo-Christian in its approach. And that was the foundation of American culture, law, and government. So when these events occurred, these controversial events, over a period of time, increasing numbers of uh, Americans came to, to view King George III and Parliament as attempting to usurp the higher law of God and to uh, force the law of man instead. They saw them as uh, usurping uh, what they called inalienable or God-given rights, rights to life, to liberty, to what they called the, uh, the freedom to pursue happiness. And they came to view, eventually, uh, in great numbers, uh, King George III as a tyrant. That's why uh, American troops marched off to war in the Revolution under battle flags adorned with the, ba- with the slogan that said, resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. You, you take the title of your new book, By the Hand of Providence, um, from a quote from George Washington. Um, and I think as we think of him as uh, you know, one of the key founding fathers, uh, uh, the first president of the United States, although was somebody in there actually for a couple of days or something, I forget all the details on that, but, but, but widely recognized as the first president of the United States, uh, as we see the role that he played, Valley Forge, all the way through the list, give us some insights in terms of this man in particular and the the role that his faith played in taking the risk that he did in the founding of our nation. Well, and some people have made the, the case, uh, I think kind of a weak one, the case uh, in recent uh, years that the presidents of the Continental Congress uh, in those days before the Constitution, during the, the time of the Articles of Confederation, were, in a sense, presidents. But they were not president of the United States. Uh, Washington was the first. It's, it's really, you really cannot overemphasize the influence of George Washington. Now, uh, the American Revolution was really taken forward by the American people. They're often overlooked. And the leaders reflected the worldview, the faith of the American people. So you had the American people, you had their leaders in the Continental Congress, and then you had uh, George Washington, who was really heads above all others. Um, and he was greatly influential in inspiring his officers and troops to stay in this, uh, this movement, to stay in this revolution. And he also inspired the American people. And it wasn't because he was a good general, and he became a good general. He became a great strategist, a good tactician, but he grew into that. What inspired the American people about Washington was his character, and that character was based on his personal faith, and that faith was clearly biblical. And that faith. Talk, talk to me about your research in terms of the influence on that faith, on the decisions and the risks that he took personally um, in the American Revolution. Well, Washington was um, a a low-church Anglican uh, who was uh, very serious about his faith. He was quiet about his faith. He wasn't the kind of man who would sit around, like Sam Adams, for instance, and and, 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 uh, engage or lead a dinnertime theological discussion. Uh, He was a low-church Anglican. He he didn't speak in uh, the vernacular of a 21st century evangelical, although his doctrine uh, personal doctrine that he believed as, a, as an Anglican was certainly uh, uh, in, in that category of being a historic, evangelical, um, orthodox Christian doctrine. He was certainly not a deist, as some have claimed. 
there were very few deists actually involved among uh, the American people and, and among the founders, their leaders. Uh, the um, the historian, there was a historian uh, in the 20th century, Perry Miller, who spent his life studying the colonial era. He really was a great expert on American colonial uh, life in the colonial era. And he described it well. He said that deism was what he called an exotic plant that never took root in America because of the overwhelming influence of the biblical worldview, that Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, so a deist was one who, who believed in an impersonal God, almost like a force, uh, a, a force-type creator who uh, launched and jump-started his creation then walked away from it. That's not the God that George Washington believed in. And uh, he was consistent in both his private writings, which were voluminous, and also in his, uh, his public statements, which were many, consistent in expressing uh, that uh, faith, which was clearly, without question, a biblical faith. And so in, uh, in, in Washington's uh, decision-making uh, and the things he did, the things he didn't do, really governed by this. You look, for instance, um, he stands in real contrast to some of the leadership demonstrated by British commanders uh, who went into areas sometimes, uh, particularly in the South, where... Um, uh, they could have probably, had they handled the war right, could probably have... Uh, Americans were all reluct generally reluctant revolutionaries, and the British in some areas could have uh, kindled a, a great deal of support, but their behavior, their conduct, uh, really alienated people, and it made uh, Americans in droves go over to the side of the patriot movement. Well, Washington was contrast to that in the way that he treated his enemies, the way he treated loyalist civilians. He made sure that they were not taken advantage of. He made sure that they weren't robbed and plundered like the British did. There was a real discipline there. He also uh, 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 routinely observed victories by holding worship services. Uh, he encouraged his troops to observe the national days of prayer that the Continental Congress called, and there were many of them during the Revolution. Uh, he at one time uh, urged his troops to conduct themselves, in his words, uh, at, in, with their behavior, as becoming a Christian soldier. Uh, he made sure that uh, the army was equipped with chaplains. He took that very seriously and encouraged his men to, uh, to pick chaplains who were strong in their faith. Uh, so you see consistently through Washington's words and his behavior this character, and this character was reflection of his personal faith. If you've just joined our conversation tonight, Rod Gregg is with us. He, of course, is the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. A new book entitled By the Hand of Providence, How Faith Shaped the American Revolution. We'll come back to more of our look at the role of faith in the founding of our nation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We have been investigating the faith-centered foundation of the American resistance as found inside the pages of this new book, By the Hand of Providence. By the way, for you homeschooling parents out there in particular, I mean, the book is great for anybody, but homeschooling parents, you're looking for a great book that can be a wonderful teaching tool. Uh, you're going to want to go out and pick up a copy of this. Howard is the publisher available to bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Those one or two still exist, am I right? I'm just checking. And, of course, through Amazon.com. Its author is with us tonight, Rod Gregg. Rod is the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. By the way, a number of phenomenal books that he has penned down through the years, over 16 of them now all told, 
on topics of the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, Civil War, on and on the list goes. So check out anything uh, written by Rod. Again, G-R-A-G-G, if you're going to Google his last name. Rod, it's curious. We talk about the notion oftentimes that that some will report uh, a number of the Founding Fathers as having been deists. And I find it curious because if we look at the actions of these men and the great risk that they took, the personal sacrifice, it would seem to me that it would take an individual of greater character um, and and, and a sense of of higher calling than just somebody who casually acknowledged the existence of deity out there. It seems to me that most of the actions of these men in the founding days of this nation were people that were willing to sacrifice for a greater good because they knew the God that they served. Well, that's exactly right. You have to remember when we talk about uh, the founding fathers, the leaders of the American people in the colonial era, time of the American Revolution, that um, they reflected also the worldview of the American people, or they wouldn't have been holding office. And the worldview of the American people, without question at that time, was a faith-based. It was the Judeo-Christian worldview. And it's no accident that the Declaration of Independence uh, begins with what it calls a uh, self-evident truth that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, namely life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the Declaration of Independence had to be acceptable to the American people who are going to live with it and in many cases going to die for it. And the signers knew that. And they knew they had to have biblical justification for something as big as an independence movement or a revolution. And so that's why the Declaration of Independence is laced with the language of faith. Half of it makes the case against King George III because Americans came to, to view him in great numbers, as did these crafters of the Declaration, as uh, a leader uh, who was unfit to be a ruler of free people because they had come to view him as a tyrant who wanted and intended to usurp the higher law of God and replace it with the law of man. And Americans, uh, being biblically literate, were very conscious of the whole biblical doctrine of submission to authority. And so they were reluctant revolutionaries. And not until, uh, until the great numbers of them came to believe that uh, he was attempting to uh, usurp or take uh, authority over the higher law of God did they move into the ranks of uh, revolutionaries. And uh, they then came to view him and Parliament to a lesser degree as tyrants who were, uh, who were seeking to repress these inalienable or God-given rights, and they believed they had a biblical and moral duty to resist that. Now, as far as uh, the leaders and those who are deists, that really is something that has been uh, greatly exaggerated uh, in our day, and it really probably reflects more about where American culture is today than it does the historical evidence of that. Time. Well, to be sure, I mean, the attempt, I think, too, to uh, to take God and faith out of the equation, to kind of neutralize America's stand historically on the position of faith uh, and, and kind of eradicate our faith-based roots. I mean, let's face it, if, if you can eliminate that at the foundation, it's much easier then to move forward in uh, not only creating a religion-neutral America, but in some corners even a religion, religious-hostile America. Well, you know, the great unreported story of our day, uh, of the last uh, 50 years, is the shift in the national consensus or the shift in the worldview of America's leadership from a historic, traditional, 
uh, Judeo-Christian worldview that holds that God is the authority over all things and God should be the central focus of all things, to a man-centered, secular, or humanistic worldview that says that man, not God, is the authority over all things, and that man, not God, should be the center of all focus. Now, that's a seismic shift and, uh, and you know, why it's uh, having a trickle-down effect in the, in the American population. You can see uh, that the leadership in America, in virtually all fields, has really shifted in that direction in, in the field of uh, uh, business, uh, law, government, uh, entertainment, uh, the popular media, the culture, popular culture, the, the media, the news media, uh, movies, television, um, health care. It's shifted from this God-centered worldview to a man-centered worldview. And then when you have something like that happens, it means that those who are uh, responsible for conveying information have, uh, are uncomfortable with things of faith, particularly of biblical faith, they are. Um, uh, they don't understand it in some cases. Uh, they're uncomfortable with it. Sometimes they really resist it or even hostile to it. And so, for those reasons, I think that the uh, the fundamental foundation of America's origins as a nation, which was faith-based, and that faith was the Judeo-Christian worldview, has um, has really uh, almost been uh, it's been neglected. It's and uh, in, in it's to a point that most Americans today, or at least many Americans today, don't know the story. Yeah, and, and sadly enough, and of course the irony is we see the manner in which this is demonstrated, the results of which are demonstrated in society and the world around us every single day. I mean, look at the disintegration of what's going on in our country morally and economically. Uh, there's proof positive, and even more so than what ought to be a firmer drive to return back to the understanding of our faith-based roots, um, the, the, the acceptance of the reality that colonial America was built on a foundation of biblical faith, and that any time you waver from it, you are going to be open for some pretty scary times, which we find ourselves in these days. By the hand of providence, how faith shaped the American Revolution and hopefully we'll be the guide to the next one. That's my subtitle, my sub-subtitle. Uh, Rod Gregg, its author, our guest on this segment of Lifeline. Again, a number of great resources that Rod has penned down through the years for those interested in uh, a real, legitimate view of the faith influence on the founding of our nation. Then, too, again, for parents out there, the homeschoolers, if you're looking for great teaching content, then, again, Google his name, Rod Gregg. You can find lots of great resources, too, all of which available on the web and through Amazon.com by the hand of Providence.